Hello and welcome to another episode of the CG Garage. This is episode number 363 featuring Mariana Acuna, who is fabulous and I've wanted to have on this podcast for so long. I'm so glad that Sally finally did the introduction and helped us out with that. Uh, she is the Senior Vice President of Global Virtual Production and Onset Services at Technicolor. Uh, but uh, she's actually done a lot of other stuff that's interesting as well. And I was most interested in some of the work she'd done over at Glassbox Technologies. Uh, but in general, she's got an incredible career. And we talk about that uh, real, real quick. <laughs> Kristen, what did you think of Mariana? Oh, she like, as I say, she moves fast um, from, mm -hmm. I think she said her doing her first like visual effects film via Photoshop. Shop, and yep. then now she does like uh, everything from like on set work to virtual production, game engines, building and managing teams, product launches, software and hardware solutions to workflows right. and pipelines. She's like, she's amazing. Um, and she kind of kept looking for the next best thing. Um, and always knew she could do better. Um, and her story of co-founding uh, Glassbox Technologies is just very unique. Um, mm -hmm. And it designs uh, next generation software tool sets uh, that enable content creators like all over the world um, to use the power of game engines in real time uh, virtual production. Um, mm -hmm. So just to create immersive content um, for feature films, TV, animation games. Mm -hmm. It's just, she's amazing. Um, and just everything she talks about, she just, you know, the virtual production she explains we are virtual beings and to fix it in pre so right. yeah and you guys talk about the metaverse obviously so <laughs> yeah absolutely yeah it, it was it was really great i mean she's like she, like uh, she's a very very bright uh, woman and mm -hmm. i was very interested in all of the things that uh, she was talking about we did start getting into the metaverse uh, quite a bit and she and i saw eye to eye on a lot of that stuff which was also really cool we probably could have gone another hour of conversation on that so i'll probably see if we can get her back at some point and talk a little bit more but she was she was really great uh i really really like uh what she has to say and obviously her technology uh, that she's been doing and how it's enabled people to to do a lot of these things are, are really cool and she worked on uh the day after tomorrow which was uh oh, the first yeah. film i worked on as well so really great as she was an onset person on, on that mm -hmm. one as well so really great to have mariana okay i don't think we have any announcements or any product launches going on right now uh mm -hmm. what, can you tell me uh what's going on with the podcast all right, so you can find us at facebook.com slash cggaragepodcast or chaos.com slash cggarage. And if you'd like to watch us, go to youtube.com slash chaosgrouptv. Perfect. And if you have any questions about the podcast or you have any suggestions you'd like to do, you can always email us at labs at chaosgroup.com. Again, that is labs at chaosgroup.com. But for now, enjoy episode number 363 with Mariana Acuna. Welcome to another CG Garage, where the chaos group talks. You'll know it's over when the last bucket drops. We're gonna fire off rays in high dynamic range. We know that ambient occlusion is passe. Global illumination won't lead you astray. And while image-based lighting is really swell, you need to make sure everything has for now. Just fun going. It's fun. Okay. I'm all it's about all, the fun. It's all about the fun, right? So so good. I'm glad you're able to do this. And thank you, uh, Sally, again, for uh, getting us in touch with you. I've actually wanted to do a podcast with you for a long time, believe it or not, because I thought it would be really fun. Uh, and I have a lot of questions about kind of the fun things that you do. But I think before we get into that, let's get a little bit into your back history. Let's find out a little bit how you got involved in CG. You have an extensive resume. <laughs> so I'd like to know a little bit about that. <laughs> yeah, sure, Chris. And thank you, Sally. Um, and thank you, thank you again for having me. Uh, well, let's see. Well, I'm originally from Mexico City, and the movie Terminator and Alien really changed my life. I was like, I need to make movies. I need to make those things that are on the screen. I don't know what they were called at the time, but I knew I wanted to, to do that. Um, and I went to college and it was the first time that a career in visual effects and um, CG art, animation and you know programming was opening up in Mexico. And I was like, this is the future. I will always have a job. And I was right. So <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad I did that. Yeah. Um, 
So yeah, I did a lot of fun stuff in college. I did a lot of short films, you know, experimental animation, stop motion. My thesis was in stop motion. Uh, I did a whole movie using, you know, visual effects, but in Photoshop because I didn't have any other software at the time. And I did film strip frame by frame. Oh my God. So really? Yeah. Wow. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> you name it. I've done it all. Mm-hmm. Um, so then from there, I was hired to work in New York City, like straight out of college to do visual effects for an artist there in New York. That was pretty amazing. Uh, but from there, I realized very quickly that I needed to expand my horizons. And so I did another master's degree in uh, Spain, where I did a lot of, you know, interactive design and 3D animation and post-production and rigging. And I did that for quite a while. And then I moved to Los Angeles and studied visual effects and on-set supervision. Yes. And from then on, yeah, I started to work on set. Uh, you know, I did uh, movies like um, The Day After Tomorrow. And oh, the I was on that. <laughs> Oh, were you really? Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. What were you doing? I was, that was my first visual effects job was day after tomorrow at DD. So. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. Well, I was on set making sure that the people on the, on the US side were crossing into the river, into the Mexican side. Oh, like, right. That? Yeah. I remember that shot. Yeah. 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 So the time was a, a second AD, a second, second AD. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. So that was pretty fun. And then with Troy also, I started with the whole, you know, visual effects assisting and, also, I worked with uh, Robert Rodriguez and yeah, all, all, all of that. It was, you know, it was pretty amazing. So I also opened up a visual effects company in Mexico City. Um, I worked for... Which, we, which, which, enough, which one did you work for in Mexico City? Which one was it? Uh, so I worked at Olin Studio in Mexico City, oh, but yeah. then I opened my own company doing visual effects. Uh, but when I was working at Olin, we were actually doing the overflow work for Digital Domain. Yeah, uh, you were working on this movie. Uh, yeah, and, and a lot of other is. movies. Yeah, but I do yeah. remember you guys working on uh, on on uh, on Tron, and it was yeah, great, yeah. great work. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> really good work. Yeah. Um, and I also became a post producer in Mexico and visual effects supervisor uh, on set. I mean everything. Mm-hmm. But I I was bored at some point. Uh-huh. Uh, I was bored. <laughs> And I was like, you know what? I got to move where everything is, which was L.A. And my teacher from Noman School of Visual Effects gave me my first job in Los Angeles working in the, for the movie Surrogates. Okay. Remember? Willis and mm-hmm. Yeah. They all had to be robots. And, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> Look yourself at home. <laughs> oh, we should have had one of those in the pandemic. Then the robots could have gone and hang out and have a good time for us. <laughs> um, <laughs> Uh, I then went into software development after, you know, because as you know, the visual effects work is a little. Yeah, it was a little, little hard at the time. Yeah. Yeah. I remember you did, you were in the uh, Life After Pi documentary. Am I correct about that? Yes. Yes, you are. Correct. <laughs> <laughs> I do a lot of swearing on that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I was, I was, that was one of the times when I decided to sort of get out of the visual effects industry too. I was just. I just didn't want to do that anymore. But uh, but yeah, yeah, it was it was interesting. Anyway, go ahead. Keep going. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I also tried to, you, you know, unionize. And I was like I, the face of that movement for quite a while. But it didn't go well, right. as you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Not, very well. Not one of the successes in my career. Yep. Um, so I was tired of that. And um, I was actually just thinking like, oh, man, what, what should I do next? And I was doing a lot of teaching. I've done a lot of teaching through the years. Mm-hmm. But I knew I didn't want to do that full time either. And then that's when I met the amazing folks from the foundry mm-hmm. and, and they offered me a job. And so I quickly became the head of product specialists, even though they were called creative specialists, mm-hmm. but same thing. And so I also then, you know, little by little, also became very involved in virtual reality and real time technologies. I opened up a, a company in Mexico doing VR and 360 branded content and interactive content. At the same time as I was at the foundry, they were very supportive, really nice guys. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I helped with the development of Cara VR um, and Modo VR at the time. But once again, I wanted to do something more. And so then I left yeah. and I opened up another company called Glassbox Technologies. Yep. And we set out to build tools for virtual production to democratize what was out, what was out there. You know, the all the tools being accessible for content creators of, you know, all sizes, big and small. Yep. Um, and that, I have to say, was has been amazing and 
so many customers, so many clients. The team has been just absolutely amazing. We've done so much work with different folks. Um, and then, of course, as, as things have to continue to evolve, uh, the pandemic hit March 2020. And so my LA team was like, bye, no one wants to be in the epicenter of the pandemic. Goodbye. <laughs> <laughs> so they le- uh, everybody kind of left. And I started, you know, the, the company kept going, of course. And um, actually, 2020 was one of the best years we ever did because we're doing remote collaboration and, and, you know, virtual production. But to help you while you were at home, we pivoted the roadmap. Uh, but also because my son wasn't going to school, I wasn't commuting or I wasn't traveling. Mm-hmm. Um, I became kind of like I had a, some more time on my hands than usual. And so Epic Games approached me and I became the virtual production mentor for uh, their fellowships. Uh, we graduated over 500 people from a ton of different countries. I was also the previous supervisor for you know um, program that happened in New York with Tribeca. I also became an authorized training instructor. I, I did a lot during these uh, lockdown years in, in LA. Um, and also continue to be, you know, obviously growing an integral part of Glassbox. Uh, but and just this year, uh, at the beginning of this year, which is very fresh, I've just became the senior vice president of virtual production and onset services for Technicolor. Wow. Yeah, so. <laughs> Here, here, that's it. That's where I am. We are. That is amazing that you got through all of that information in about seven minutes. So I'm going to try to go back and dissect some of this stuff as we go because there was a lot of stuff. Obviously, you you, you like being on set and you liked doing, you're a very active person, I can tell. So you really like to do a lot of those things. Uh, what was what was your favorite part of, of, of working on, on the features back then? Uh, really uh, collaborating with people in real life and seeing, you know, I, I remember like the art department was always amazed by just the output that they could produce in terms of work and just saying, you know, making making brands that don't exist and, you know, putting them and creating like beers and posters and things like that. And also I always was, you know, really mesmerized by the props department and seeing how they could build, you know, guns and shields and all kinds of armory right. and, you know, being so proud of their work. And this, oh my God, the stunts, working with the stunts is incredible. I mean, you see the stuff that they do, you're like, oh my God, I would have broken 500 bones by now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I love being on set. It was a lot of fun uh, for sure, but it is a lot of stress. Did you find it it's, hard? Did you find it hard to sort of make those decisions at that exact moment that you have to make them? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, especially, you know, when you're doing night shoots, mm-hmm. night shoots were really hard for me. It was like, my body was like, no, I want to sleep. Mm-hmm. I like, no, I want to sleep. So, I mean, it was it was really hard. And also, you know, you're cold, for example, in the day after tomorrow, the extras after being inside that river for nine hours straight, the extras, I couldn't move my legs. I was completely numb and the extras had to carry me to the to their, you know, to their um, tent to where they had like the, the craft services mm-hmm. and they actually had to pour the hot water that they use for like, you know, those noodle soups yeah. in my on my legs so that I could actually like start moving them again. And the extras were all worried about me. So, yeah, I mean, those kinds of things are definitely not fun or watching people get hurt, you know, because that yeah. happens also. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> that is kind of stressful for sure. Uh, okay, I do want to. I do want to get a little bit about into VR and what 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 got you interested in VR. Now you you were working, at, you know, when we were doing stuff at the Foundry, you were doing stuff in VR. So can you tell people a little bit about what what the what the products were in VR at that time the Foundry was working on? Yeah, so it was. Uh, I don't think the product on Modo, which was uh, you know Modo's a three D system, three mm-hmm. D application, kind of like Maya, and they were working on a. VR tool to do sculpting in VR. It was actually really amazing. Mm-hmm. I don't think that I ever saw the light of day, but Kara VR was a plugin for Nook mm-hmm. where you could, you know, stitch, track, comp, do, you know, like particle simulations and stuff like that in a 360 environment, which was, you know, and, and you could also be wearing the headset. Um, and so look at all the, you know, all, all of your work, all of your shot at the same time, which at the time was not, you know, available. Right. And the automatic stitching plus, you know, stereo cameras and whatnot that were very hard because, you know, at the time it was a lot of just manual, uh, pr- a manual process. So Cardiar just automated all that. Right. Yeah. I mean, they had, Nuco's had some pretty uh, amazing 
tools, including some good, st really great stereo tools as well. So they probably borrowed a little bit of the, that, that system together. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. They they live from Ocula. Yeah. 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 Uh, well, now the research team of the Foundry has always been incredible. I mean, incredible minds, you know, working on just right. the latest technology. Yeah. And when you, you started your company, uh, your VR company, which was Jolt, right? It was Jolt VR, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. uh, so when you started Jolt, uh, what was what were some of the things that you guys were, were looking at doing then? Well, what we're trying to do is also make it accessible because either at the time, if you wanted to do, say, a music video, mm -hmm. um, even if it was 360 or if you just wanted to add maybe a little bit of interactivity or whatnot, it was really expensive at the time. So the reason why I opened it up in Mexico City is because no one was doing it over there. So I brought, but I know because I work there, as, as I was explaining before, I know that there's so much like talent and hardworking people that if I brought the know-how there and taught them how to do it, then, you know, I could bid projects here and we could get those projects and then, you know, kind of bring the talent, having the talent in Mexico do the work and then really, you know, they could learn and apply those skills for other things in the future to get like better jobs and more jobs in the future right. while being able to actually get those jobs here is because they were so cost prohibited at the time. And one of the reasons why, you know, a lot of companies went on there at the time is because, you know, people were expecting ROI in VR and there really wasn't any. And we also wanted to experiment and we did, we did a lot of music projects and you, you know, you show a QR code that now we're so used to, right? Mm -hmm. uh, but then it would, if you had a, a Google Cardboard branded with, you know, the musicians or the band, and then it would take you to the lyrics and the video and you could download the, you, you could download it. So yeah, it was, that's what I'm trying to do. Just have fun and help creatives and, you know, be it cost effective. Right, right. But what, I mean, that, yeah, I know there was definitely a lot of content creation. There's not as much content creation of those types of videos being done today. I don't think that there, there used to be back then. No, no, I don't think so. I mean, if anything, there's a lot more, I think, very focused in terms of the industry because VR is alive and well, as we know, mm -hmm. but either, you know, you're making games or you're in automobile or you're in, you know, design or real estate or education, mm -hmm. training and simulation but not so much, I feel, for entertainment purposes. I feel like the some uh, some some of those artists that stayed in VR are probably doing a lot more interactive work now and doing things for like the New Frontier program and Sundance and things like that. Right, 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 right. Uh, okay, but did, let's let's. How did the the things that you you did in the VR world? How did those apply to your knowledge in terms of virtual production? <laughs> Well, it was really, well, virtual reality, because I was doing so much development and work in virtual reality, th that's what brought me into the game engines, right? So right. Unity and Unreal. Um, and then, so I, I learned how to use both and I started to see how, you know, deploying into different platforms and just how interactive they were and how easy it was, to, it was to create interactivity. So that was like what really got me interested in virtual production because of what these real-time technologies could really mean for the film industry and then really seeing little by little, thanks to VR as well, mm -hmm. seeing all the different, you know, like branched narratives, sort of like choose your own adventures type work. Uh, and then, you know, a lot more of like gameplay scenarios, right? When telling stories. Uh, and then, of course, also seeing some um, stories produced uh, using AR as well. So, you know, moving from VR just a second, mm -hmm. like, or a second AR as well. And then just thinking about the possibilities that that could bring to the filmmaking process when you can use virtual reality for location scouting, when you can use AR to start doing, you know, blocking and layout and having, you know, like a predefined library of sets and props and what you can do with that. I mean, I really kind of started to see what that the sky is the limit and the, the way that we consume and create and distribute content was definitely going to change. And and I wanted to be there at the for, forefront of that. Yeah. Yeah. And I, you know, you know, it's funny, you know, talking about your, 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 uh, being on set and freezing your legs in, in a river and understanding the, the stresses of the, uh, of production production. How do you think, like, what do you think you, you're able to bring from your experience in production to the virtual production set, like, you know, setting up things and talking about props and 
uh, art departments and things of that nature. Now that you're doing this all virtually, what did you were you able to bring to that your knowledge of the practical to the to the virtual sets? I think being able to translate concepts for filmmakers that may come from a more or content creators that come from a more traditional background mm -hmm. and just really helping them understand that is just it's just like the cameras, right? It's just when we went from black and white to color and optical to digital, it's just an evolution of the technology because we're humans and we never stop, you know, kind of like advancing and wanting more and more in terms of technology, right? And so really bridging that gap with content creators and helping them with maybe non-technical terms, because sometimes virtual production is seen as very technical, mm -hmm. and bringing in this live action and on-set expertise into explaining them how everything that they've been doing live action and on set can just be applied to the virtual world and how to apply those concepts and that expertise and not to be afraid of that. So it's helped me uh, there. And as well, I think it's helped me to kind of keep calm because as you know, so when you're on set, there's a lot of personalities, things can get real. Whoo! Harry sometimes and so virtual production it, you know it's not <laughs> doesn't save itself from that as well so I think just I, I feel like after living through a lot of that craziness on set then just bringing a more chill calm attitude yeah uh, yeah just let's keep calm and it will figure it out you know it will work it out yeah for sure, for sure. I am actually really curious about, you know, you mentioned that people, if you translate it to them, like, hey, this is just like live action and here's how, uh, that's really helpful. But um, do you think that now that you have people that are live action people that are in virtual sets and looking at CG through the lens that they're used to looking at it? Because before, I mean, you'd, you'd shoot something and then it would go into this black box called visual effects and I'd have to wait forever to see something coming out of that black box, but they had no control over what was going on in there. But now that you take them into virtual production and they're like, no, you have control over this. You can move the camera. You can do the lighting. You can direct it the way you would direct a real movie. Um, do you think that that is uh, going to change their attitude about like what visual effects is and what computer graphics are? I don't think, I'm not so sure that it will change how they feel about visual effects because I think, unfortunately, that whole attitude of fix it in post was so prevalent and it was just kind of brought this, like it, it opened this Pandora's box, whereas before you used to do, you know, kind of figure it out how to do these really hard and difficult things, how to make the shots and, you know, just brought all this like creativity and collaboration. But then, unfortunately, what happened with, you know, the advent and explosion of visual effects and the attitude of fix it in post, then it's like, you know, kind of removing the decision making process from the creatives and then just leaving it into the hands of the visual effects artists, which as talented as, you know, they are and or we are, <laughs> but maybe I'm still one at heart. Uh, ultimately, it's not your movie, it's not your story. So you are not, you know, you're just a tool to help create that story. So if you don't have the right feedback, that's what gave way to like 96, you know, versions and shots being caught and, you know, filmmakers being very disappointed with visual effects in general. So I don't know if their attitude towards visual effects is going to change as much as feeling that really feeling like virtual production is going to give them something more that they didn't have before and feeling like they could have that creative control back in their hands and being able to visualize. I think to me, virtual production really to the, the why it makes me so excited is just the ability to visualize because as humans, we are vi visual beings, you know? I mean, so many, it doesn't matter how many times we're, we're, we're going to hear, oh, the book was better, but we still go and see the movie, right? And we love the movie, and right? Right. Like we, we're just visual beings. So the ability to bring that creative control, give them back the creative control, making them make the, like letting them make decisions earlier in the process, being able to see things like lighting and effects at the very beginning instead of at the very end, I think that is just something super valuable that will just continue to bring more and more content creators and all kinds of filmmakers into virtual production. Because, and not only does it helps tremendously when it comes in to, to when we're talking about live action and on set, but I mean, real time animation pipelines, right? Uh, and all this like experiential, interactive, 
uh, content that you can produce as well, like that show, Alter Ego, and you know, digital humans, meta humans, the metaverse. Oh my God, don't get me started. Mm-hmm. So it's just like so much potential all across the board. Yeah, for sure. But I don't, so it does sound like virtual production is preventing the fix it and post attitude because they're looking at it right now, right? Correct. And now it's called fix it in pre. <laughs> <laughs> fix it. Yeah, fix it now. <laughs> Except now, and that's always been the case, right? Like the more I used to hear this in production all the time where it was like, you know, and and there was a movie where we were in pre-production for something around like six months. And so what does that, you know, translate into? That translates into really knowing what and when you're going to shoot, shoot or better, not, you know, not having 500 takes, just being lean, mean, and a lot more efficient and effective. And I think that's what virtual production is bringing back into the table as well, just a lot more efficiency into the mix. Yeah, yeah. And obviously, you mentioned, you know, the, 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 the pandemic really, like you guys are very, very busy, which is interesting, because a lot of people couldn't shoot. And so everyone's like, oh, virtual production will save everything, right? Or LED walls will save everything. <laughs> but, but, but what was, I mean, what was that? What were some of the benefits? Obviously, people, you could do things that people didn't have to actually be in a physical location. Is that right? That's right. But I'm not going to touch too much around like pandemic and the LED walls, because that's a completely different beast, if you will. That's a completely different story. Um, And you would still like me living in LA, you can really go anywhere or shoot anywhere, right? Right. But what you could do is have a virtual scene and then, you know, bring or not bring, but um, ship an iPad to a director that they could then see this virtual scene. And then, you know, without them having to be technical or anything like that, and then be able to start shooting virtual camera or, you know, something that was done so much during the, during this, I don't want to say the pandemic because we're still, but you know, the beginning, the early days of the pandemic, uh, you're going to Google Earth VR, which is such a mainstream, you know, VR app. Right. Uh, And and let alone the VR app, everybody knows the 2D app, right? So then you're going to Google Earth VR and then you're in the headset and you're actually able to collaborate with other people in your project at the same time in VR and scout a location, et cetera, et cetera, right? And then maybe also do the same thing, be in VR at the same time while you're looking at your scene, you're making decisions, you know, maybe you're looking at scale or you're doing asset reviewing or whatnot. But that's what that's why it accelerated. Everything virtual production really accelerated um, during the pandemic because, you know, what you thought was going to happen in four or five years happened right away because people were at their houses and then they were actually able to test and start you know iterating maybe on ideas and also the fact that you have things like the marketplace from epic games and like quick sell mega scans and you can actually create you know it's like really easy to recreate using all these tools available at your disposal you can recreate cities and streets and buildings and and whatnot and then you have like meta humans which are also free so you can start just like creating a short, you know, a full animated CG, um, uh, well, real-time, not CG, real-time short mm-hmm. and whatnot, right? Um, and so, yeah, all of that is why I think the pandemic accelerated this, just because people had the time or, you know, even like uh, motion capture suits. There are a lot of very cost, you know, they're, they're cost-effective, if you will, not cost-prohibitive mm-hmm. motion capture suits like the Rococo or you can get some gloves with the haptics and you can get like a Vive HTC setup with the trackers. You can, you can put it into the iPad and then you have your little virtual camera and boom, all of a sudden you're doing, you know, virtual production in your office. We did a lot of that mm-hmm. back in the day. So again, I think it became, the pandemic became the little sandbox, if you will, or the virtual box for people to try out new technology. Yeah, I agree. I, 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 I did exactly that. I shot some uh, you know, motion capture in my backyard. So, uh, <laughs> so yeah, absolutely know what you're talking about. And I think it's a really, really great because it was, you know, it was very, you know, in order to do anything, you had to have like a million dollar stage that had to be built to do everything. And you don't need that anymore. Have you seen the move AI stuff? That seems very interesting too. The which one? Move AI. No, please tell me. Or, or is that the AI that's helping you do the... It's motion capture, but it's markerless and it just uses... Oh, yeah, I've seen it. Yeah. It's incredible. Mm-hmm. I, you know, and I was I was actually just thinking about the other day. I was like, oh, you know what? I've been so entrenched in this past two years of uh, because I also, I, I was also into AI very <laughs> much so. Um, I was like, I was just thinking about that, like machine learning. Where is all that with 
with this, you know, which, mm-hmm. I mean, I remember seeing a lot of tools as well where you it cleans up like the in-between of your mock-up data. So there's not that much manual input and whatnot. So yeah. Yeah, for sure. I'm very interested in, in seeing that. Okay, let's talk a little bit about Glassbox and what some of the tools are that you uh, create there and what, you know, how, how does that start? Let's say you're a company and you want to turn to do things. What 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 can Glassbox do to help your, your company? Well, first, um, uh, first and foremost, uh, we do a lot of uh, consultancy services. Okay. So pipeline integration, if you have like a traditional pipeline and you want to bring in real-time technologies into the mix, we help you with that, with the architecture, and just help you figure it out what that all means. Mm-hmm. Um, also, motion capture consultancy services, maybe help you figure out what kind of uh, motion tracking system you need, um, whether it's, you know, for face or body. Uh, we also help you with LED stage design and build-outs as well. Um, and then we have three products out into the world. One is a virtual camera, and that's, you know, we actually... We had a whole other roadmap in 2020, but on the pandemic, we pivoted fully mm-hmm. to just figure out how to make it VPN friendly, work in the cloud, be able to just send iPads to directors and work remotely. Like we just fully switched to help, you know, um, virtual cinematographers right. in, in the time of need. Um, so it works across the board exactly the same in Unreal Engine and Maya because we have like a proprietary technology mm-hmm. that you can hook up into any DCC or engine. Right. Uh, and then we have Live Client, which is our facial performance capture solution. And we did a whole, you know, video for the meta humans and how, you know, you can use your blend shapes and how you can just take control, a lot more control to do, um, you know, your animation and just puppeteer your digital avatar, if you will. And then we have Beehive, which we won a Technical Lumiere Award for, which is a source control, version control, you know, just your whole, um, what do you call it? Swiss Army knife knife toolkit for virtual production. We used to call it the Google Docs of game engines because (laughs) you can be at the the same level at the same time, sort of like a multi-user type, uh, you know, workflow, but gives you the advantage of many other things at the same time. And that's time. inside the game engine itself, right? So you could basically assign roles. Or role. Maya. Yes. Or Maya. Okay. So you basically assign roles to people like, okay, you're lighting this, you're moving that. You're, camera. Your camera here. And then and then it all syncs together with Beehive, right? <laughs> Correct. Or you could be in layout or maybe you're in the virtual art department. You know, you need to optimize assets and you need to do a bunch of stuff then that's where you would, you know, be have we come to the table. And what's really cool about it is also, you know, we're thinking, well, just use the right tool for the right job, right? Mm-hmm. So we understand that a lot of the Maya artists that have been working in Maya for 20 years, they have no intention to jumping into any engine. Like they just want to continue working in their preferred tool. So then that way, you know, Maya artists can be tweaking some certain things, you know, inside of, of Maya. And then the Unreal Engine artists or the technical artists can actually see those changes inside the engine. So that means that you don't, you know, have to remove or modify the artists that you already have within your studio or your preferred way of working. Like they can all just be in their environment, in their preferred environment and work in that way. Right. Right. And then, well, not all the tools can do the same things, right? <laughs> That's also correct. Right. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So, uh, what is so? What's your thought about the like collaboration tools, right? Because now, obviously, virtual production is is you know you have to work a big team of people just has to work all together, right? So now there's a lot of ideas about collaborative tools. Obviously, there's things like Omniverse or even Unreal itself, um, and you know even just the, the idea of what a USD is is all about sort of collaborative systems what's your thoughts on that on how this is going to change how people work well first i think it's already changed the way people work Mm -hmm. because you know i've said this a lot and coming from software development you know we used to come from a waterfall model where you know asset a has to then pass through b to then pass through c and then pass through d and it's a very and then when it's broken you have to wait until (laughs) yeah and maybe sometimes right like you know working in comp i remember sometimes it had to go all the way back to modeling right and then that means textures and the shader writers and the, oh my god like you know and then the animation and then you're like oh, right and then of course you're working 1900 hours because yep. <laughs> because you're like at the very end of that yep. funnel 
um, correct? Yeah. So I think it's already changed that in terms that now it's a lot more of an agile process, right? Mm -hmm. And so what happens here can be visualized and then the, everything can start working sort of in a, like a spiral motion, um, everybody working at the same time so that, again, you don't have to wait until the very end and you're like in stock in that funnel. Um, and so on that front, I think it's already changed it. I think that also VR has helped on that because it's just, a, like, look, VR is a, for all the haters out there for VR. Ultimately for me in virtual production, it's just a visualization media, medium, just like a video village or you know any other type of monitor. It's just a monitor that you stick in your face and you're able to just, yeah. And you just have, you know, the ability to have interactions with other people in other parts of the world. So amazing, you know, you can even have meetings that way. So fantastic. So in that way, I think that has changed it um, as well. The thing that I need that needs to change, I think, is, you know, for example, coming from big, heavy visual effects pipelines is understanding this, you know, new way of working and not being afraid of it because the transition from a traditional pipeline and integrating real-time technologies into it is not really that hard. It's just data and it's just how you're interpreting that data and how you're bringing that data, you know, how you're pushing that data in and out how that, you know, how that flow of data is streaming from one end to the other. So there's nothing really to be afraid of. So, you know, just being a little bit more open. And then lastly, I would say, yeah, of course, Omniverse, what Unreal Engine is doing, what we were doing with Beehive, that's the whole point, because we need these collaboration tools. I mean, if the pandemic taught us anything, right? Right. Is that to have the ability to at least be virtually in the same, like working in the same place at the same time is crucial. And ultimately, the fact that you can have the people, say, working in an environment and they can't touch any other levels, and then you have the animation people doing animation, but they can't touch the environment levels, that's crucial, right? Because you also don't want like to create a, like, a chaos in, in your content creation process at all. Um, so it, it's very crucial. But I think, first and most important, USD has to be this amazing farewell to heaven that they keep promising because ultimately we keep being promised that is the stairway to heaven but the stepping steps what do you call it the scaffolds right. are not there i think i'm not saying that those words right <laughs> you know you get the picture yeah point being like yeah yeah it's the stairway to heaven but but where are the steps right. you know yeah i think well that it's like anything else that's open source, right? It's only as good as the people yeah. working on it. And and if yeah. people want it, then they're going to work on it more, right? Blender yeah. was a pretty good package until suddenly people started really working on it. And then they got a lot more interesting. <laughs> oh, I love Blender. It's so great. Oh, my God, I love Blender. Don't get me started on Blender. I love Blender. Right. Right. But I think yeah. that right now, like my, my, my feeling is I'm looking at, you know, the visual effects industry and they're like, we want USD. And so therefore, if they want USD, USD will get better, hopefully. Because I remember the early days. Yeah. You got a USD file. You didn't know what to do with it. <laughs> Correct. And I think the visual effects industry is trying to rectify that mistake. Right. And right. so just being able, because it was like, I don't know, maybe they start with a very precious, my precious uh, sort of mindset. And then it's like, oh no, oh God, right. let's just be able to, you know, collaborate and transfer data, massive amounts of data in a way that makes sense and that it's not, you know, super complicated because it doesn't need to be. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm curious, actually, you know, now you're talking about the, the thing that I find it's interesting uh, about uh, uh, the idea of a real-time workflow and collaborative workflow compared to the waterfall workflow is version numbers, right? Before you would just do an iteration and you put a version number next to that iteration and then you would wait for the outcome to see where you go. So you had version numbers of models, of textures, of everything, right? In a collaborative workflow, it is a constant state of flux that there doesn't seem to be a versioning in the same way like how does and that to some people in the visual effects industry that's very hard to grasp is the idea that things are constantly in flux all the time what's your thoughts on some of that i think i can see where the fear you know happens because you know i've i've, I've been one of those people with the versioning <laughs> you know system uh -huh. and of course there right now it really there isn't like set naming conventions or versioning standards like there is in, in visual effects. Mm -hmm. However, you can continue working, let's say Maya, right? Like you can continue versioning in Maya 
just as you usually do. There's no problem there. Once you're bringing in the real-time aspect into the mix, you just have to understand that really what you're doing there is just optimizing assets so that you can view and work with them in real time. But it's a very structured way of working and it's all a container, right? And so you just have containers within containers. It's like having, so let's say it's like a big box where you're just putting box of, of that has a lot of complexity inside and inside and inside just so that you can carry the box. Right to different places and then, oh, you need this particular box, third box in, okay, fine, here's your box. And then you need the the one that's like the smallest one, okay, here's your box. So um, there isn't, it, it's, I, I see the fear, but they should understand, like the VFX industry needs to understand that it's not that complex, that you can have set project and folder structures and that the way that the engine handles the data is very smart and it is just self-contained and that it has ways of dealing with complexity that are really, really smart. So while it may look like chaos on the outside because they don't can do version one, two, three, four, it's actually it's actually way simpler than that. And that's why you have, you know, like, like Beehive. With Beehive, you can actually, you have a history state where you can go power, forwards or backwards in time mm -hmm. and see what user did what. Um, and timestamp it. And it gives you the ability to like, you wouldn't like if you and I go at the same time, mm -hmm. you wouldn't be able to mess with what I did and vice versa. And let's say we're working on the same asset, which would be really strange. Why would we be doing that? But let's just say that we're working on the same asset. Still, what, either you or me, we're going to be working on it a millisecond before the other one. So if I won for, by that millisecond, then you're not going to be able to iterate on that. Right. Right. Um, then, of course, you have things like, version control and source control and how that's how the engine works so you can have this depot of assets and information anywhere in your company anywhere in your you know whatever your studio however you work in any other location and the data is just flowing to your local machine and back to that server just because being in your local machine will make things faster which is probably also like a total brain explosion for bfx artists that are just not used to working in that in way local space, right? yeah no <laughs> right. It's just so that it works faster and you can still have that real time. Correct. Right. But there are, you know, there are mirror uh, ways that you can do that. Or you can be working in a virtual machine. So you, you still have the component of the real time, but it's not really in your local machine if you're if you're worried about, you know, security issues. Mm -hmm. But ultimately, the data is flowing back and forth. But all the complexity and all the changes are really within that container that is the engine and how it has that project and folder structure. And it's really smart the way that they do it. And ultimately, just as you would save your last version, that 39, right? Mm -hmm. And then if you come back in the morning and you open version 39 and you right away save it to version 40 because you want to have the last one, that's the same thing that happens with version control. You right. know, you're just checking things in and out. So not because you're adding the V1, V2, V3, that means that it's a smarter way of working, mm -hmm. right? It's also when bringing in real-time technologies, let's not forget that you also have the rendering component aspect of it. So right. that means that you don't need these massive render farms and you don't need this, you know, you, you don't need all this massive infrastructure because now you're actually able to see the output of your work in real time. And so that's also amazing, right? So whatever you feel, if you're still a little apprehensive about the versioning system, well, hell, just remember that you can actually visualize your work in real time instead of working, you know, waiting yeah. three days while the render is going. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Although I do think that there's still, anyway, I have some thoughts about that, obviously. But uh, there's, uh, let's talk about the game engines themselves. Like, it, what was your thoughts that, that, you know, obviously when we were doing virtual production in the past, you know, pretty much the only thing you can do any capture with was with Motion Builder or things of that nature, right? So, Things have changed quite a bit in the last few years, and all of a sudden we started seeing other players come in and completely changed what has happened in virtual production. These game engines came in, and now suddenly the concept of the virtual production has exploded in a lot of ways. What do you think is the role here that games, game engines are trying to do, and what is Epic's really? What, why do you think they're so involved in, in virtual production in some ways? You know, I, I think because of, the again, the potential of just... I, I, were you creating a game? Because let's not forget that the game engines were made to make games. Right. That's why they're called game <laughs> engines, right? But I think, again, with just when 
especially when, you know, the heyday of VR, if you will, then seeing how you can start creating this content, right? This interactive, just just interactive visual feedback at all times. Well, obviously we all want that, right? Whether mm-hmm. you're in animation or you're in filmmaker, you want that. So I think it was a lot of user driven and a lot of user experimentation that then brought the engines to, oh, wait, and then got them really interested in, you know, the media and entertainment market, if you will. And I think now seeing, because ultimately, for example, Unreal Engine, well, they had Matinee and they had, you know, all these ways of creating game cinematics and, and camera constructs and all that. So it's just like translating that into now something like virtual production and filmmaking and animation, which they already had everything there. They just have to, you know, I, I think the role is if they're gonna be so focused on media and entertainment and virtual production and you know our industry, I think then they should also change some of the features and enhance the features so that it's not just made for gamers, right? Or making the, not gamers, but for making the games. Mm-hmm. And like, cause the, the one thing that I see the caveat is like sometimes, and I see why this has been like a little bit of a setback is just, translating all the concepts that you already know coming, say, from visual effects, right? Into the into this game world, the game engine world, it can be a little bit of a mind, yeah. you know? You know what? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so um, I think it's, it's uh, their duty as well is to help the industry understand those concepts and, and helping that with features that are really user-friendly and the user experience is more alike what we already know instead of, you know, kind of having to adapt fully to the game, the game creation world. That's that's my two cents. Now, um, I feel like Epic has done a really great job in supporting the industry because in between, you know, the, the mega grants, the marketplace, the quick salads store, I mean, it's really given, I've seen it in the fellowship, like really the, just seeing the, the quality of the content that gets created in five weeks, it's pretty nuts. Yeah. So, yeah. So, so I think they really opened the door to a lot of, uh, you know, folks that were like maybe flame users. They wanted to change careers. I mean, I feel that they're expanding the roles that you can do as an artist. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's interesting because they do, they do, uh, I'm I'm interested also in filmmakers taking some of that responsibility as well because and I'm starting to see that which is very exciting because visual effects people are really great at solving very hard little problems right but they don't always see the big filmmaking experience out there so you know when you put when you put um, one of the things that I think the, is the most interesting when I was thinking about uh, virtual production is bringing the power of filmmaking, completely digital filmmaking to actual filmmakers and telling them here is your camera. It's the same one you used to use. And that sounds super exciting to me because, you know, I used to do lighting, right? I was my thing. I was a lighter, but I'm not a DP, (laughs) but I was doing the role of a DP in the same way uh, that that an actual DP is, but I would love a DP to actually do his own lighting and virtual production. And that's a much better experience for him to be able to explore that session in some ways. Don't you think? I do think that, uh, by the way, Uh, and see where your thoughts are on this though. Um, I, I do. And I don't believe that it's in the filmmaker's hands. Like I agree with you to a, to, to a point because we've tried, right? Like with, um, with Dragonfly, like our, our virtual camera. Mm-hmm. It's like, put it in the hands of filmmakers. And even though you have the same amount, of, or not the same amount, but the same exact presets, right? Like as a, as you have in a camera, mm-hmm. per se, like the film back and the lensing and et cetera, et cetera. You can give them the, the ICO, like everything that they used to, the exposure, everything that they're used to, like handling with the, I think with the parameters. I think the part that they misusing and even with the most sophisticated virtual cameras that are using you know peripheral controllers like a game bias or something more advanced where they can do the zoom the in and out so they have like that hardware component if you will mm-hmm. uh they're still missing like seeing the lens i feel like i feel like the part that they're missing and that's why they're they could be a little bit of like a resistance to this mm-hmm. not for younger generations i feel like younger generations are psh, 
They're like, what? Just give me a Playbox. I mean, an Xbox or a PlayStation. Oh my God, I combined the two. <laughs> Oops. The PlayStation controller or the Xbox controller. And, right. Right? Like they're, because they're used to, like they were born with technology in their hands. Like they're used with a phone. They're used to the tiny, the small screen, et cetera. So right. they're, they're fine with that. They've, they're grown with that. But older generations, what I've seen is that resistance because they don't have that lens that they can change and they, you know, and that they know about. I, I feel that that is the resistance there. Mm -hmm. But I think little by little that will be changing because, again, it's not like you're not going to do principal photography with that camera that you like. It's just, again, maybe you're just expanding the roles and having more virtual cinematographers. And as you say, like the DPs, I've seen some DPs that have like they were scared first and they have just dove right into virtual production. And once they see, you know, like driving physical sets and then seeing those match up in the engine and then just putting their skills that they know to do like a beautiful lighting shot yeah. and see how happy they are. I mean, yeah, that's so uh, I, I agree with you on that. I do sure. remember actually walking, you know, seeing at uh, going to uh, see Ben over at Magnopus and he was showing me uh, one of the ideas that they were doing, which was, you know, like a, a wooden virtual crane that they had built you remember like it so it feel like a fit like a crane like you were doing an actual crane shot but they they just put a vive controller on it in vr it looked like a crane but you would have that resistance of feeling that you were dealing an actual crane shot and i was like that's actually kind of smart you know because people just think oh no you just move the camera in maya and it'll look the same it's like no it won't no no, no it's not no <laughs> yeah yeah no it needs it needs a hand that actually does something and some reaction and and even like a i've always you know when i have a digital focus puller then i know it's like it's gonna have that perfection to it <laughs> it's gonna look really oh, oh my god the digital focus puller <laughs> yeah yeah a digital yeah. focus puller because if you actually have that knob the hand on the knob and you time that focus it, you can tell that it that it looks crafted in some ways yeah yeah. And something that I've always said that is very important, it's education, because I don't know, maybe USC, the School of Cinematic Arts, maybe they have, you know, they have a very sophisticated program when it comes to virtual production. They even do offer mocap and whatnot. Mm -hmm. But besides them, I mean, who else would offer this? You know, either you're still in the traditional filmmaking, teaching that or, you know, I mean, I don't know. I, I always hope that, you know, the educators um, really get on with the program and and kind of be at the same pace as the industry because there's so much uh, you know need for talent everywhere like there really there really is like there's a lot more content that is going to be produced within the next five to ten years between the streaming wars and everything else right yeah you need that talent and you need all that all those types of talents and i just feel i always feel like the schools don't ever keep up with the demand and the technology, which is a shame. Yeah, I think the schools definitely need to do that. But honestly speaking, it's moving so quickly that the schools barely have time to react and find the talent, you know, to do it. So Right. But again, I mean, you know, they could partner with, with people, could. right? So maybe they're not the ones spending all the money on like this hardware that they don't know about, but, you know, partnering with folks. Sure. Sure, sure, that, sure. I mean, that's that's just an idea. I don't, you know, yeah. we don't have to dive deep into the problems <laughs> of education, but I'm just saying. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I think it's I think it's really interesting. I, I first of all, I'm a big fan of virtual production. I bring, uh, definitely think it's you know to me it's it's uh, it's filmmaking in a very interesting way, and I've always. I've always wanted to make movies, just like you said. I want to do. You saw, uh, you know, Terminator and Alien. You're like, yep, I want to do that. <laughs> so, uh, to me, it's the same thing. I just, it's just even closer to the actual filmmaking itself. It's very exciting. Um, yeah, right. Yeah, I feel that too. So, so let's. You, you, you kind of, you know, laughingly said uh, or laughed when you were talking about uh, using the word meta into the meta humans and metaverse, et cetera, et cetera. What, but what is your, what are your thoughts on that? What, I mean, obviously, you know, there's a lot of talk, talk about the content of the metaverse and what's going to be out there. What do you think the role of virtual, is there going to be a role of virtual production in terms of the meta-ness of our metaverse right now and, and how that's going to be part of it? Right. Well, Chris, I mean, why do you, well, let's define this because for some people, yes. and I realize this, if, if you're talking about the metaverse, okay, for some people is the snow crash, uh, ready player one, VR game like world that we're going to be in a treadmill in our house. And, you know, it's, and all these things are going to happen and it's just going to have that visual quality and, and whatnot. And they think that's 
the metaverse, right? Some other people, but that's like a futuristic view of the metaverse. Some other people think of the metaverse as what you already have now, like social VR, right? Mm -hmm. And platforms like, you know, VR chat and whatnot. But that's the metaverse. From other people, for other people, the metaverse is the ability to create assets that are going to be used from the high-end film pipelines all the way to games. And it's just going to be like a reusable asset or a set of assets. And that's kind of like the metaverse, which kind of like omniverse, right? Mm-hmm. Now, the metaverse really, are we talking about the decentralized, right? In the in the Ethereum blockchain yep. metaverse where we can buy land and create NFTs and do all that. Well, you know, I would hope that with the platforms that are available today, I mean, my just biggest fear, so I don't know which one of those metaverses you wanted to touch on. Oh, I love on. the fact you 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 did the best job of breaking down. I, I feel exactly the same way you did. You did the best way of breaking it down into those definitions because it's like people, like it was like last year, people were saying, Virtual production? You mean LED walls? And it's like, no. <laughs> no. no. <laughs> so when you said that, it's like, yes, 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 and yes. All of those definitions are there. I am a much broader definition metaverse. For example, oh, I, please. I, please, please. I, I think metaverse to me is is just the place of, of existence that things are going to live in. The data is going to live in a decentralized place. And I think the metaverse itself will be that, right? I don't, I don't believe in the central hub system. I don't think that the decentralized hub is actually going to be more interesting. And therefore, the things, the assets, the, the data that lives inside that, that place is, to me, the metaverse in a lot of ways. So whether that's even your bank account, that's a metaverse. Whether that is uh, uh, your, your avatar, that's a metaverse. What you do with that avatar will also be inside of a metaverse itself, or inside the metaverse, et cetera. So there's going to be a lot of existence that are virtualized inside of this decentralized place. But no, it doesn't mean specifically VR <laughs> in any way. No, no, exactly. <laughs> um, and the worry for me as well, I mean, I, I'm with you and I would hope because really the promise is is this decentralization precisely, but because there is not one place right now that is actually the metaverse, right? Where we could actually just all have like second life per se, right? There are all these different platforms, which means that you may not be able to use the same name in one versus the other, et cetera, right? Like who's, which one's going to go down, which one's going to be the successful one, are those like the ones that still exist X number of years from now are going to merge together? What's going to happen then? I'm, I mean, I'm very interested in all of that. I think there's so much room for growth, play, artistic, you know, um, kind of experimentation. And also, of course, for people to get rich with NFTs and all this. Mm-hmm. But, of course, the fact that Facebook rebranded to Meta, ooh, I mean, I just hope that meta just doesn't become like that the metaverse doesn't become just the metaverse itself doesn't just become like, like this crazy you know version of facebook where yeah, you know, it's just like I, terrible targeted I, advertising and like you know right wing violence dispersion and let's bring back the world because of one guy's you know idea of how it should be that's my worry really i'm like i'm super excited about what you just said and, you know, the, right. the, for, for me, everything I just said about the metaverse as well, my worry is the other part. Yeah, I understand. I, I definitely think, well, I think, well, first of all, I think everyone thinks it was a proactive thing to name themselves metaverse. I think it was a reactive thing to call themselves meta because obviously I think that most people who have been more Web3 oriented have been definitely written like that Facebook represents the absolute opposite of a Web three world, right? Because it's it's <laughs> it's a Web two I'm world. You. A reactor because also they couldn't like you know it's Facebook is now seen for old people, right? Right, right, right. Like not for the yeah. for the younger generation. Yeah. So it's like, oh, what do we do to be cool? But then again, I mean, well, you know what? I mean. They also like they also are banking on Meta meaning VR, and they have you know they're part of yeah, the Oculus. Yeah, right. So yeah, so exactly. And See and. Yeah, and then you get into the like the whole tracking thing. Now he's really, I mean, the path through on the quest two is pretty incredible. So now basically you brought the enemy inside your house. Now he can track everything. It's like it's freaking sure. scary. Sure, sure, sure. <laughs> okay, but let me go back to to our 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 loose broad de- definition of metaverse. Very definition. <laughs> By the way, I have like we have like three minutes left, so just for the I'll sake be really of time. quick. Okay, what do you think yeah. about filmmaking in the metaverse? Like. 
you and I and a bunch of people all over the world getting in a virtual space and telling stories in our metaverse and then making a making a movie or making a story out of us collaborating in that space. Do you feel that that's something that could be done? That could totally be done. And I think there's it's such a rich space for experimentation and collaboration because who's not to say that you do like some sort of like detective, you know, show or movie, but you're exchanging avatars and you can't really, you know, like there's it's very difficult to follow like the clues because you're changing avatars and or the digital spaces are changing and whatnot. Um, and that's just like one crazy example because I would love to be like a two meter kangaroo with red hair in the metaverse and I would not change that avatar ever if I could. But <laughs> I just think it's an absolute playground you know, the, the meta box mm -hmm. for collaboration and experimentation and for a, a lot of, you know, really rich content creation. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Well, listen, I, yes, I know we're, we're short on time, so I'm not going to let you too long. Very excited to, to hear, to talk to you about this, especially about the VR stuff that I'm very interested in. And I know you are very, very important person in that area. Uh, so I'm really appreciate you being able to share that information. Also can't wait to hear more about what's going on with you at Technicolor. I'm sure we'll find out very soon since this is all very new information. So we will make sure to uh, let people, you know, follow up with that uh, and let us people know, but we'll put links in the, in the, in the podcast page so people can check things out. But thank you so much, Mariana. Really appreciate you being on and telling me all these amazing stories. Uh, it was absolutely awesome. Oh, thank you so much, Chris. I wish now, now I'm like, oh, let's keep talking about the metaverse. <laughs> oh, I can keep going, but yes, I'm even... <laughs> I know. Me too, but I have a meeting. Ah. Okay. So, well, I'll let you go. You so Absolutely. And we'll keep in, we'll keep in touch. Okay. Bye.